This is the EPLOG audio experience. Quick disclaimer for a podcast, the SOS show, points discussed in this podcast should not be relied upon as conclusive medical advice in any case. The host shall not be a substitute for proper medical professional. You must seek professional help in case of any requirement. Thank you. What are the three minds and how can we consciously use them for our mental and physical well-being? Can tapping mind to enable us to even cure severe mental illnesses? Hi guys, welcome to the 95th episode of our podcast, The SOS Show with me, Suchita. And today we are talking about something very interesting, the three minds. And how can daily regimes enable us to tap the three minds, specifically mind two and mind three, and live a more conscious life? Our guest for today's episode is Anup Kumar, who is an emergency physician, author and speaker, exploring consciousness, the three minds and healing without medication. Hi Anup, welcome to our podcast, The SOS Show, and thank you for joining in and thank you for being part of this conversation. And I happened to bump into a video conversation of yours with uh, Mr. Deepak Chopra. And I was like, you know, you were talking about consciousness and you had a lot of questions. And uh, I think uh, in this episode, this is something I would like to focus on with your understanding of consciousness. So, yes, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Suchita. It's great to be here and great to see your interest in consciousness and how it relates to so many topics. Yes. So tell me, we have had conversations on consciousness in our earlier episodes as well. So far, what I have understood about consciousness is that it's something which is mindful, it's constant awareness, something that you are aware in your day-to-day activity, in your daily life. Uh, How would you define consciousness? I would say consciousness is that which enables and represents itself as any and all experience. So the consciousness that you described is perhaps more precisely called attentiveness Mm -hmm. or awareness of something Mm -hmm. or mindfulness, Mm -hmm. right? That's the kind of um, more typical, more popular idea of consciousness. I would say what I refer to as consciousness includes that And it goes far beyond that to say that the world that we experience itself are, is represented, are representations of something called consciousness, which goes far beyond the usual use of the term consciousness. So when you say it goes far beyond, this is just a very basic definition. Uh, It's almost like basic studying the alphabets, A, B, C, D, but then you start writing sentences. And of course, you go much deeper beyond that. Have you experienced things deeper and beyond? All of us have experienced things deeper and beyond. You know, Mm. when we say this question, have you experienced? Mm. The key word in that sentence is the word you. What does this word you represent? You is a label in English that represents an identity, right? Yes. So when I say I, when someone says you, he, she, they, these are all pronouns, which are labels that are symbols of identity. 
Now, the question is, what is the actual identity that is being symbolized by you and by I? And what I would say is that this I, this you, has many layers to it. And the layer that is talked about in our society, which is generally a first mind society, is the first mind, which is that local individualized mind that can refer to itself and understand itself only in terms of the language of our society, where there's no language, there's no, you know, metacognitive understanding. So there's so much that we experience that we have no language for. The vast majority of our experience, we have no language for. And so there are many layers that all of us experience that we simply don't talk about. And that's why something like the Three Minds Framework or speaking about consciousness is important because we can start to put language to some of these experiences that we would otherwise consider intangible or not relevant or unimportant, when in fact, that's the furthest from the case. That's beautiful. Putting language to the experiences that we cannot explain. I'm going to be coming back to this line later. Tell me, Anup, uh, you have worked, I was, I was going through your website and there is this detailed uh, thing that you've written about consciousness and its connection with our daily health. Yeah. And you've mentioned mental health. But also you've mentioned consciousness and its connection to the mind, body, and the society. So just starting off with consciousness and its connection to mind, body, and society. How do you sort of relate and connect? Well, if we take this hypothesis that we talked about before, mm. that consciousness is fundamental, mm. right? Then certainly what we talk about as a body is an expression of consciousness. What we talk about as mind is an expression of consciousness and same thing for society. So there is this thread, obviously, even in our world that connects the body and the mind, right? Yeah. If I feel happy, you'll see this, mm. right? Mm. If I feel sad, you'll see this. Yeah. So if, there, if there's anger, the pupils will dilate and the heart rate will increase. Yes. So mind and body, if there are two things to begin with, I don't believe that there are two things to begin with, but let's say that they are two things to begin with, they're intimately correlated. And of course, mind and body are intimately correlated with our society, right? Depending on the societal beliefs and conditionings, the minds in that society will also be accordingly conditioned. So there is really no separation between society, mind, and body, and for that matter, planet and cosmos, right? We know that sunlight affects our mood, for example. Yeah. We know that the moon causes tides. I mean, there's no separation anywhere except where our own awareness is limited, there a boundary forms. Mm -hmm. So the entire hypothesis here is that there is simply this continuum of experience. And depending on how we open up our minds and the extent to which we open up our minds, we experience things as static or as interrelated or as connected or even as absolutely non-different. There are all these ranges of experience. And what we call body, mind, and society are a certain range of experience, a certain flux in that continuity. Yeah, this is something that um, I've been debating with in terms of body, mind, society, uh, consciousness, and the continuum part of it. What you talk about is, is something that uh, we are not conditioned to uh, think or believe or, you know, I mean, how do you, uh, besides meditation that everyone is talking about, how does a culture condition itself to experience this continent? Education. You know, obviously there are, there are practices that we can do ourselves, but it's 
basically having conversations like this, starting to see beyond our traditional conditionings. Mm. And there are four there are four engines that I talk about when it comes to health and healing, mm. right? Mm. Nutrition, movement, rest, and connection. And these four are the approaches to pretty much all of these questions, right? So if if I want to heal the physical body, what do I do? Nutrition, movement, rest, connection. If I want to heal what we call mental illness, which I think is a is a misnomer and a distraction from what's actually happening, that also is nutrition, movement, rest, connection, mm. right? If we want to understand what's happening in our society better, again, it's the same thing because these are the factors, and we can talk about them in more detail if you'd like, but these are the factors that begin to open up our perspective and which unlock our innate intelligence. Most people would agree that we have incredible amounts of intelligence, awareness, creativity, and potential within us, right? How do some people achieve so many great things, right? Whether it's in the public sphere or even in their private lives, how are they so capable, so loving, right? How do they function in that way? Well, because we have this amazing potential within us. Every person does. But it's clamped down when you go through a particular kind of education, through narrow ideas, when the adults who are teaching us themselves are unhappy. So they teach unhappiness, even though they think they're doing the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. So all of this happens, which serves to teach us in a way to curtail our potential. So these engines of nutrition, movement, rest, and connection naturally unlock human potential. And this is the way to move our society into that next level. Mm -hmm. So uh, nutrition movement, uh, rest and connection, these four things that uh, you have devised. Um, if we follow this on a regular basis, you're also, you're also saying that we'll be more uh, aware in our day-to-day -day existence. We will live fully and perhaps more consciously. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And this is, this is, kind of a general map for everybody. So everybody's going to have their unique, you know, you have to change it, you have to tweak it. Mm. Everybody's unique in that sense. But broadly speaking, if this kind of a map were followed, and by the way, everybody, most people who heal do follow this map. This is not something that I created or invented. These are just the basics of unlocking potential that were true 5,000 years ago, and they'll be true 5,000 years from now. Mm. It's just the basics. It's the mechanics of the human being, right? It's how we work. Mm. So yes, absolutely. If this is what people do, they will see healing happen. They will see the mind opening up. They will see their awareness increase. They will see them mm. starting to recognize things that they never thought were possible. Mm. Tell me, I open your experience and your work with consciousness and you being a, you know, a doctor yourself. Uh, is there a relation, and I'm, I'm sure there is a very strong relation between consciousness and mental health, but how can we use it to create an impact in the mental health ecosystem? So as we talked about first, consciousness has so many meanings and so many layers to it. So we can touch upon a couple. Hmm. One is that we can use consciousness in just the sense of being aware of what's going on, right? Hmm. And so... What's happening now is that because medical science hundreds of years ago decided that mind and body are two separate things, right? What we have done is focus on the physical structure, right? right. I'm not so sure that it was a formal decision, but it was something that that 
time those people arrived at probably because they had a much easier time dealing with the body. They felt they could see the body. They felt they could dissect the body into smaller pieces. There was so much ground to cover, so much to learn. And it was much more shareable among different people because if I dissect the body like this and you dissect the body like this, then we can communicate. We see the same thing. But if I say, well, I see the mind like this, somebody else may see something completely differently. So because of these very human, obvious reasons, we started to focus on the body. And it was so exciting because we hardly knew anything. So we could dissect it and discover all kinds of things. And this, because of this lack of sensitivity and vision to the mind, and because of the volume of information that was waiting to be discovered by the body, we got very excited and say, let's focus on this body. This body is amazing. And that's been biomedical science is essentially the science of the body. Mm. Now, of course, this is a human being is not only a human body. Everybody knows this, right? Yes. But our science is focused on that. So now what's happened is we've come somewhere down the line and we saw that, wait a second, there's a lot more happening here with a person that we can't understand. So now we have to create something called mental health and mental illness, right? Nobody mm-hmm. talks about, phys- mm-hmm. nobody says I have a physical illness. I have to go see my physical illness doctor, right? Yes. Why? Because that is the strength of biomedical medicine. So you never hear about physical illness. That's just what we do. But you hear about mental illness because we had to kind of concoct this new category to make up for the fact that we never understood the human being completely to begin with. And that's how mental health and mental illness started. Now, don't get me wrong. People certainly suffer Mm -hmm. and suffering is real. Yes. But we have come to a point that we need to call the suffering mental illness or mental health to even bring attention to this because our ignorance is so deep about the human being, you see? Mm. So what in, in terms of consciousness, in terms of bringing awareness to this, what we have to see mm. is that we have looked at the human being incompletely the whole way through. And the basics yeah. of a whole human being, a connected human being, are nutrition, movement, rest, connection. And as long as we are not paying attention to that, and connection, by the way, I'll elaborate, is connection with others, it's a connection with oneself, with, with our, our core yeah. identity, what we're about and what's beyond that. And it's also a connection with the planet. It's literally mm-hmm. feet in the mud, feet in the ocean, you know, sun on our skin, rain on our skin. This is, this is, these are the elements of connection. So as long as we are not doing these nutrition, movement, rest connection, mm-hmm. no matter what else we are doing, it is not going to make up for it. Mm-hmm. And the problem today is that when you talk about mental health and mental illness from a professional perspective, from the perspective of medical science, these things are not emphasized because it's not our strength, right? We don't, we don't understand introspecting into the self, for example. We don't understand um, moving emotions. Mm. We don't understand moving our creativity. As people, we understand it. Physicians as people, we understand it. But physicians uh, as, as trained professionals we have no model for integrating mind and body because that is not the strength of biomedical medicine. So this is one way mm-hmm. in which consciousness or simply awareness of what is happening in what we call mental health, mental illness can start to shed some light. And hopefully we can start to move away from these stigmatizing kinds of phrases. And the stigma, by the way, comes from our own ignorance. 
mm. as a medical science and as a professional community. Our ignorance is what creates the stigma. Yeah. So the solution is not to destigmatize a phrase, it's to mm. it's knowledge to see where this has come from and what are the actual solutions that will help beyond just, you know, medi- uh, taking pills and doing certain uh, behavioral therapy programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's one way in which consciousness relates to human potential. Let's take it beyond mental. Mental health is simply an aspect of human potential, mm-hmm. right? Another way it, it relates to it is that at a deeper level now, what we call consciousness is a deeper identity that we have, a deeper identity that we are actually, right? So we have identities that we have. I have the identity of a doctor. You have the identity of a podcaster. We might have identities as, as you know, father, mother, brother, sister, so many different identities, right? Yeah. But what is it that differentiates as these identities? Hmm. Just as we have a stem cell that differentiates into the white blood cell and the red blood cell and all different kinds of cells, right? Just as we have Mm-hmm. the deep currents of the ocean that differentiate as many, many, many waves, just as you have one air that differentiates into innumerable gusts of wind. Mm-hmm. Similarly, what is it yeah. that differentiates as all of these identities? Mm. And that is another kind of consciousness. That's a deeper kind of consciousness. Yes. And until we connect with that, there's always going to be some sense that something is missing. Right. And that sense that something is missing, if there is miseducation in the society, which there is in our society, that's going to be converted into a search for many, 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 many things. So I'll go out and try to acquire so many things and do so many things and all this to satisfy this core sense of incompleteness. So that's a second way in which consciousness contributes to Mm. what we call mental health. Mm. Yes, I think you're also sort of talking here about the three minds that interpret the reality in two different ways, which is your yeah. mind one, mind two, mind three, which you have mentioned on your website, inspired by um, Vedanta. Yeah. So um, I, I want to sort of, I want to uh, delve a bit deeper on the three minds. Uh, but before that, do you think that if we focus on consciousness, you're saying that we as a society, we have not integrated mind and body. I mean, we have treated mind and body separately. And that's one of the reasons why we are here, why we are here today. But do you think, but the changes have started. Everyone is talking about integrating mind and body. And yes. if, if I'm not wrong, a majority, uh, at least 20 to 30% of the planet is practicing med- meditation or, uh, you know, I don't know the exact figures, but I hope with the kind of talk that we are doing about uh, meditation, do you think that with uh, with consciousness, and of course consciousness can uh, can only be enhanced by something like meditation, but also with something like the fourth thing that you've mentioned in terms of practicing it every day. So do you think that if we focus the society now on enhancing our consciousness, we can solve uh, a majority of issues when it comes to mental health? Yes, but that depends on focusing on it in the right way. You know, if, if we say we're going to focus on consciousness and that's our goal, but what does that mean really? Right. Like we said, there's so many mm. definitions of consciousness, there's so many layers to it. Mm. And often mm. it's thought of as something that is spiritual and something that is philosophical mm. rather than recognizing that all of us are conscious, that we don't know what this consciousness is. We don't know where it comes from. We believe it comes from the brain, but that's simply because of how we define consciousness and how we define brain. So mm. we all have it. We know it extends. Mm. We know 
Some people can apparently do amazing things with consciousness. So we all have it. We don't know much about it. So shouldn't mm. we looking? Shouldn't we be looking into it more? This is the perspective we have to take. But that's usually not what mm. happens. If you say, you know, we have to be more con, we have to think about consciousness more integrated. People say, well, that's spirituality. They don't realize that mm. the very fact that they're saying that is because they are conscious, right? They don't yeah. recognize yeah. the depth of the practicality of it. So mm. I would say that yes, it's great if twenty to thirty percent of the world is meditating. Fantastic. Let's let's make it a hundred percent. However. Mm. That by itself is not going to do it because many times meditation becomes a private experience, right? So in meditation, a person can kind of go into themselves and experience themselves in a certain way. And then they come out of meditation and go into the world and it's like, it's a different world, right? So there's the meditation world and there's the world itself. But these two have to be integrated, Right, the the experience and the insight of meditation has. But to we even integrate it. Like I'm just quickly butting in here and asking yeah. you that you're talking about integrating the the world inside us and the world yeah. outside us, which, which is what what the practice of meditation is about. And but can we possibly ever integrate it? Because the moment you get out in the world, the things that you have to deal with are quite challenging, and that's where your level of practice comes. Yes, absolutely, it can be integrated. Yes, that's where. That's where meditation starts. But what I'm saying is we need to go to the next level, which is recognizing what are the factors. This is where nutrition, movement, rest, and connection come in. Because mm -hmm. if I'm just meditating and I'm not attending to these other factors, there's always going to be this split. And I'm going to believe that there's a world inside and there's a world outside. But as we attend to these other factors, the inner and the outer world become integrated. The boundary between the inner and the outer world dissolves. And therefore, the actions that we take or the feeling that we have in meditation is not going away in the world because that world expands, the inner and the outer world comes together. So that's why I'm saying that we have to pay attention to specific programs that programmatize this. And it's not just about, okay, I'm meditating, I feel good, then I go in the world and, and everything changes. So that's where the programs come in. That's where the basics come in. And that's where the resistance in is in society to these basics. Because this is really what would change things. But this requires us to really look at some hard things, right? To change our nutrition requires a lot. There's so much marketing and advertising about what we should be eating. To be able to rest adequately challenges so much of the work culture that we should be working 24-7, for example, right? Yeah. To connect with oneself. There, there comes in the message of spirituality and woo. Oh, well, that's, that's spirituality. No, really, that's incredibly practical. So these are yeah. where the challenges are. Are you a meditator? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what I realized in my own process is that meditation starts as something the mind does. And eventually it just becomes the way of life. Meaning that there's no time that the mind is meditating. There's no time that the mind is not meditating. Because it simply moves to a deeper experience of what the world is. And that is not contingent about closing the eyes. That's not contingent about waking or dream. That's not contingent about whether I'm in the world or whether I'm by myself. It's simply a deeper experience of what the world is. Tell me, Anoop, about the three minds that you mentioned on your, on your website, uh, mind one, mind two, mind three. Uh, what is mind one? So the first mind is the mind that believes and experiences itself as a localized identity. 
the localized and bounded identity. So this mind might say, I am this person. I am this yeah. body. I am this mind. Yeah. And identity. Accordingly, when this mind perceives itself this way, it perceives a world of equally bounded, finite, localized objects, right? So mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, yeah. as the identity is, so the experience of the world is. And the idea that the world is something external and independent of our identity is a fallacy. So that's the idea of the first mind. This gives so, that, so, so the first mind is the ego mind. Would you say it's an ego mind? Sure, we can say that. I, I don't think the concept yeah. of the ego is really necessary. I, I think okay. I think that kind of complicates things because uh, okay. egos, at least in spiritual traditions, is generally thought of as a bad thing and something right. that needs to be kind of taken away. But you know, everybody needs an ego. If you want to access the body and function through the body, there has to be some kind of ego. It might be a right. so-called spiritual ego, or it might be a good ego, or I, but I think it just unnecessarily complicates things. We just need to see mm -hmm. that where there is the localization of identity, there is the localized perception of the world. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the extent to which that identity delocalizes, meaning the extent to which the boundary of identity is seen through, to that extent, the world itself as a finite series of numerous things is also seen through. So the potential nature of the world starts to come into view as our own potential nature starts to come into view. They are one and the same. So this is the second mm -hmm. mind view. The second mind experience is that this I or this you or this me or she, these pronouns, what they refer to is a field of potential. And this field of potential mm -hmm. is what I is, is what you is, is what she is. And this field of potential mm -hmm. differentiates into the localized first mind I and the mm -hmm. object that it perceives. So for example, right now it mm -hmm. would be a noop and the screen and your image that I'm mm -hmm. seeing on the screen, right? These are mm -hmm. differentiated mm -hmm. aspects. These are waves of a deeper mm -hmm. field of potential. And this same framework is also what science is arriving at. They use different language and the scientific understanding has not yet progressed to see that we ourselves can experience this deeper identity, that it is ourselves because mm -hmm. science generally still takes the perspective of biology when it comes to that, that we are these human beings, right? Or we might mm -hmm. be these mathematical fields that have no awareness. But what the Three Minds Framework suggests is that this deeper, undifferentiated nature, which is the universe, it's not just a view of the universe, it is what the universe mm -hmm. is, is actually mm -hmm. accessible by each and every one of us because it is our own nature at a deeper level. And the third mind? So the third mind then is that absolute potential, right? The second mind mm -hmm. is where this absolute potential is differentiating and kind of wafting up as the objects of the mm -hmm. world and the individuals and the interactions and the space-time grid and the dimensions and all of this is the wafting mm -hmm. up of the second mind, almost like water boils into vapor and you see these forms of vapor dancing, right? This is the second mind view. Mm -hmm. The third mind view mm -hmm. is the potential itself before it differentiates, before any sense mm -hmm. of boundary comes about. So as the third mind, mm -hmm. there's no perception. As the third mind, mm -hmm. there's no thought. As a third mm -hmm. mind, there's no experience per se, including any experience of oneself as something. Mm. 
Mm. So mm. what this suggests is that the universe essentially is a potential and it can be experienced at mm. different levels depending on the level at which identify identity crystallizes. Mm. What level of mind are you in? So this goes back to the this goes back to the question <laughs> is that yeah. we are all all three minds, right? So all the time. are you the you is generally asked yeah. in our society the you is asked at the first mind level right because that's mm. the standard assumption in society what we're saying mm. here is that this you i this we exists at all three levels all the time all of us are at all three levels all the time you know this this progression through spirituality or understanding or mm. philosophy this is not something mm. that the few have is not a vision that if you have everybody knows this mm. and to some extent everybody experiences this but they don't mm. have the stories and they don't have the supportive environment to start to recognize mm. what is actually happening and so those experiences are not within their mm. cognition yeah so not within their awareness maybe you know yeah. or uh, tell me uh, anup so if we with your experimentations and understanding do you think that if we uh tap one of the minds say mind 2 uh will be able to heal a lot of things when it comes to mental health yes and physical health absolutely because what is happening see what is happening is that we are putting so many blocks in our own way because of mm. the way we do things in society right it's like we take five steps back and then we try to take two steps forward with a pill <laughs> right yeah. five steps back in terms of nutrition movement rest connection four steps back and then we take a pill yeah. and we move one step forward and then wonder why i have to be on a pill for the rest of my life right mm. or mm. and so that happens with again there's no difference between physical health and mental health like they're both misnomers mm. there's only health and the things mm. that work for physical health are the things that work for mental health and as long as we're talking right. about two things in our society we should see that as symbols of our ignorance and symbols of our mm. kind of incompleteness and we will always have incomplete solutions as long as we're talking about that so mm. yes when we remove these obstacles naturally the body's going to heal i mean this is in a sense it's common sense if i'm eating fast food all day and then i switch to fresh whole foods isn't it likely mm. that i'm going to feel better my tongue may not feel better i might not like the habit of changing the changing of yes. the habit but of course isn't the body yeah. going to feel better yes, yes. isn't it yes. likely that a person's blood person with type 2 diabetes their blood sugars are going to be much better controlled if they're attending to these things and therefore they're going to less get fewer infections and therefore any infections that they did have are more likely to heal it's obvious yeah. right isn't it yeah. obvious that a person who is relating more with others who is in relationship with others who is walking around you know bare feet on the ground who is able to contemplate and do some self reflection isn't it obvious that they are likely to have more stress on par than another person who's not doing that at all and yeah. therefore doesn't yeah. that translate to fewer infections and a stronger immune system yes of course so yeah. The, yeah. we know all of these things but we are not putting these into practice Practice, and yeah yeah and so naturally yeah. these things would improve healing and the mind itself is a powerful thing once you once we we know about the placebo effect and the nocebo effect once you yes. once the mind believes it can heal 
it can heal. Yeah. It does a lot of things yeah. that we think are not possible. Yeah, since you mentioned placebo effect, I just want to tell my listeners that, you know, they should definitely read the book by Joe Dispenza, The Placebo Effect, you know, how he managed to cure a lot of things in his own life. Yes. I don't know if you have read it, but I think it's an amazing book to read. Uh, it has had a lot of influence on my life. Tell me, Anup, since you've mentioned such an important point that there's no difference between a, a physical and mental health. It's a misnomer. There's no classification. There is only health. Um, such a great point. Uh, but we have not been cultured, nurtured to believe like that yeah. all these years. Yeah. And now suddenly you're talking about this it being the same. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about mental illnesses, which is like, you know, say clinical depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, do you think that we can we can go into the in the conversation of uh, you know working these things out? curing them uh, if we follow the strategy of uh, mind one, mind two, mind three? I do think it is possible. And let me say that when I say there is only health, I'm not saying that we cannot use the term mental health, right? I'm not saying we cannot use the term physical health, which we, which, which we never do anyway. I'm, I'm saying that as we use that, I mean, we have to use yes. that because that's where the society is. But let us be aware that the reason we have, we need these terms is because of this incompleteness that has been going on for hundreds of years that we have now yes. brought with ourselves and now we're forced to use a certain kind of language. So that's what I'm saying. Yes, it is possible because even when we talk about, again, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, yeah. what are these? What are we talking about here, right? What is schizophrenia? Yeah. What is bipolar what disorder? Talking we're that? talking about a series of experiences. It's not like if I'm talking about uh, a heart attack, right? Yeah. In a heart attack, mm -hmm. you're talking about decreased blood flow that causes myocardial cells to die, to be injured and to die. And you measure that. That's kind of the biomedical definition of a heart attack. Yeah. Right. But when we're yes. talking about bipolar, schizophrenia, et cetera, we're talking about different kinds of suffering. And it's not something we can measure. Right. It's not it's not a biomedical concept. It is it is an experience. It's a human experience of it suffering. Is. It is yes. just as important. In fact, we might even say it's more important because it's teaching us about our subtle natures, even beyond what we call physical. So it's just as important. The suffering is extremely real. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. The question is, is the best way to talk about that suffering in terms of what we call schizophrenia or what we call bipolar? And I yes. don't think it is. And the reason for that is when we start talking about schizophrenia, when we start talking about bipolar, it sounds like we know what we're talking about. And that's the danger, right? It sounds like we know what that is. And that's yeah. the danger because our understanding of mind is so meager, yes. right? In, in medical school, yes. we don't study phenomenology. We don't study the totally. encyclopedias on mind that are in so many ancient cultures, right? Who, who spend totally, yeah. lifetimes exploring mind, right? Yeah. We, so that's one factor. That's one knowledge deficiency about mind. Yeah. Another knowledge deficiency is that we tend to say that all of this suffering is therefore in this person, this person. Yeah. And here comes uh, the idea of chemical imbalance, right? There is a myth that it is because there's a chemical imbalance. That's why there's the problem. And since there's so much marketing around this. That's not true. It's not because there is a chemical imbalance. And so what happens is we localize the problem in this person rather than seeing it 
as a social problem, a lack of understanding, a lack of resources, um, perhaps a difficulty this person is having in their lives, trying to keep their homes, right? They have nobody to relate to. They have nobody to talk to. I see this in the ER pretty much every day. So when you take together our lack of understanding of the mind, yeah. when you take together our unwillingness to see this as a societal problem where we can actually affect changes. And on top of that, now we create this label called schizophrenia or bipolar that makes it sound like we know what it is and it's due to um, dopamine or it's due to serotonin. Now what you're doing is you're creating the problem rather than actually addressing the suffering. And and we're creating Mm -hmm. a situation Mm -hmm. where the predominant way to solve this is through acting on neurotransmitters with pills. Whereas I don't think that's mm-hmm. the predominant way to solve this. So again, the four engines mm-hmm. come into play and we have to start looking mm-hmm. at our language. And this is where the stigma comes from. The stigma does not come yeah. from um, the fact that we don't think it's important to address suffering. The stigma comes from the fact that we really don't know what we're talking about when we're using these phrases. And therefore we get into this no man's land and nobody knows what to do and it creates a lot of fear. Totally, totally. So that that's a great point, Anup, you know, the lack of understanding, which is creating the problem and we are not actually addressing the suffering. It's a huge problem because every time in my earlier episodes, I've asked people with lived experiences that, you know, of course, they're taking pills for bipolar. Of course, they're living with schizophrenia and they are trying to live their best, you know, but the, the situation is not getting resolved. It's not getting solved. And it surprises me that with so much of research, 100 years of knowing all these mental illnesses, we still haven't come to the conclusion with all the advances in the science and practices and medications, we still don't have an understanding and a cure of it. Um, so you feel that, yes, if we do more holistic practices and spe- specifically what you've designed in terms of you know, the nutrition movement, rest and connection, this can perhaps be more integrating in the lives of people suffering from mental illnesses as well. Yes, this is this is a start to that. But, you know, when you said there's, there's no more understanding, there's no more cure, uh, there's no more cure because there is a lack of understanding and because there's an unwillingness to understand this, right? Yeah. Why is it that we would not look into such deep understandings of mind that are there in other cultures. It's just, it's inexcusable. If we really care about people suffering, why would we ignore such a treasure trove of knowledge? Only because we don't understand it and we don't want to go there. But that's not putting the person's interest at heart. That's not putting the person who's suffering Mm -hmm. at heart, right? Why would we not emphasize the basics and help people get the resources, right? In terms of nutrition, movement, rest, connection. Why would we not emphasize that and make that a standard in society before we even arrive at a, a, a point where people are suffering in this way? Well, because we just don't want to do it. it. It threatens our way of life. It threatens our expertise and so on. And so if you say, I'm not going to do those things, now I have to create something called mental illness because I'm looking at the human being completely. And now I have to use secondary or tertiary methods of trying to solve that. And that's what's happening. And that's why there's no cure. You know, on the the podcast I'm doing is called Healing is Possible. Guess what? Many people who have healed from so-called schizophrenia, you never hear about them. Why? Because they are questioning the very way we frame this experience. 
they questioned, is this really what I have? They found, no, there was actually something else in my life that is kind of presenting and being interpreted as this by this biomedical model, right? Now, that's not going to be the case for everyone. But my point is that the very understanding that leads us to reify these as mental illnesses, as schizophrenia, yeah. as bipolar, that is the problem. And we should not need these labels to understand that people are suffering and to care that people are suffering and to want to help people who are suffering. And so what we need to do is not say that everybody has mental health or to destigmatize what we call mental illness. What we need to do is simply care about people and say that we don't need these labels to do that because they are contributing to our misunderstanding. It's so interesting to mention that you have people talking about how they have um, refused to, you know, use these terms and get labeled. Um, uh, surprisingly, in the podcast audio, somebody just disregarded the word schizophrenia and said it does not exist when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and underwent severe treatment for it. So why isn't anyone talking about it and saying that let's condone it, let's let's go deeper into it and see that, you know, let's not label it and see that we can actually cure and make people live more balanced lives without the kind of medications they are being uh, yeah. uh, given. Well, there, there are people saying, there are psychologists and psychiatrists who are saying exactly what you just said. They're not in the popular view because, again, from a biomedical perspective, as doctors, our specialty, as allopathic doctors, our specialty yeah. is biomedical science, is physical-based science. And so now I'm under pressure then to physicalize things because that's my expertise. If I say that that this experience of suffering is caused by you know a difficulty from the past or it's caused by some other thing that yeah. is not a neurotransmitter it's not the brain it's actually these things now how much am i a physician at this point how much am i a biomedical physician at this point right versus a counselor versus somebody who has experienced it who is helping somebody else so that's a big part of it of course you also can't sell as many drugs because if you think that it's a neurotransmitter problem, then I'll think the antidote is to fix the neurotransmitter, right? Because that's what this does. So if I, if I realize it's an experience, then, then maybe I can influence that experience with another experience and create a better experience. The person who you said, you know, who said they didn't accept their label. Yes. Uh, and you said, despite the fact they were diagnosed with schizophrenia and treated for schizophrenia, well, Yes. I think that person might say differently. I think they would. They might say they were given a label and they were treated for their suffering through the model of schizophrenia. You know, again, what we call schizophrenia is a framing of certain kinds of experiences. And what we need to question when we use these terms is, is this the best framing if we want to solve the suffering? That's the question. Wonderful. Is this the best framing Wonderful. if we want to yeah. solve and I don't think it is. I don't think it is. So if a per yes. if it helps a person to use the label, they should use a label. And if it's mm. not helping, then we should look beyond the label. Mm, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, Anup. This is the best way to frame it. It's beautiful. Tell me, uh, before I come to your, uh, you know, the health revolution that you're working on, I quickly want to plug this question in that I saw this post of yours, which mentioned about six to seven-year-olds uh, suffering from depression and medication. What was that? Yeah, I, I would not say six to seven-year-olds are suffering from depression. Again, going back to the point mm. we just made, I'd say there are six yeah. to seven-year-olds who are suffering, 
And sometimes they are, that suffering is interpreted through the biomedical lens as depression, right? Even though, again, depression is not fundamentally a biomedical phenomenon because it's not a physical first phenomenon. But this is the this is the kind of story that we are telling about a six-year-old's suffering. And so when we tell the story of depression, what's the solution? Anti-depression, antidepressants, right? So this is what's happening. We we have these kind of buzzwords that we subconsciously fall into in society. They're kind of like potholes. You're walking and whoop, all of a sudden you you slip and you fall into one. And that's what's happening. We're we're even people who are well-intentioned are just slipping into this terminology and perpetuating the stigma, right? Perpetuating the, the kind of ignorance that is the root cause of the stigma, right? So when, the more we are using these subconsciously, what happens is we make these connections, depression, anti-depression, psychosis, anti-psychotic, right? Just like uh, bacteria, antibiotic, which is a different thing because that's biomedical in the sense that we're talking about something physical at least as far as we understand the word physical. So the truth is there's suffering. We all suffer. We've all been through suffering. It's, it's a part of human experience is suffering. Now, if we want to help ourselves, the question is, what is the best way to approach this? It's very simple. And to me, the strength of biomedical medicine is not its models of suffering. It is in its models of the physical body. Lovely. Tell me, tell me, Anoop, um, since you're breaking a lot of rules here, tell me or the kind of belief systems that we have been brought up with. Tell me about the health revolution that uh, you are practicing and, you know, it's there on your website. Yes. So talking about this, as you've seen and thinking about this, I've been thinking about this probably since I was in elementary school. And so I decided to do something that would help hopefully bring this message of healing and possibility to the public. And so one of the things we're doing with Health Revolution, you can visit us at healthrevolution.org. That's the website you can check out. Is next month in May, we're launching a podcast called Healing is Possible. And what we are doing is simply interviewing people who have done, guess what? They're healed and they're in their process of healing. And guess what? It's from stuff that you're not supposed to heal from according to the textbooks. Well, guess what? Human beings don't read the textbooks. We just are what we are, right? It is the the framework and the trained mind that reads the textbook and then becomes encased in that perspective. But that has its benefits and that has its detriments. And so these people are just human beings who are healing from all kinds of stuff, healing from cancer, healing from what we call psychosis, healing from what we call depression, healing from asthma, healing from Crohn's disease, all kinds of stuff, healing from rheumatoid arthritis that the books say you're not supposed to, and most physicians say you would not heal from. Reversing heart disease. Heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. People are reversing their heart disease without stents and without um, bypass surgery and all that. Most people think that's not possible, but guess what? Human beings never <laughs> were constrained by their frameworks unless you really bring that into your system. So the podcast shows that healing is possible. It's not about theory. It's just about showing the evidence. 
lovely. It's beautiful. Healing is possible. And healthrevolution.org is the website that the listeners should check out. Great chatting with you, Anoop. Thank you so much. That was an enlightening uh, uh, conversation. And um, I wish you all the best with your new endeavor. Thank you. For me, the single biggest takeaway has been that the health system needs to recognize the oneness of mental and physical health and how mental illnesses, even the severe ones like bipolar, schizophrenia, need to be re-looked at from this new model of oneness of mind and body. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to follow us on the SR Show pod and you can find me on LinkedIn.